I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a lot of hula. The scotch on the rocks. Please, any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. There's a special rug in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. That's not Lagavulin. That's Lagavulin. Hello and welcome to another edition of Whiskey Snobs of Lower Moco. I'm Jesse. I'm Aaron. And I'm Adam. So today we decided to do a deep dive into one of the distilleries that we tried on our first episode, the famous Lagavulin. Because the other day we were talking about some new releases and realized that we were able to put together a pretty cool tasting of many Lagavulins. And when you taste, I think, different ages, you usually call that a vertical. So today we're going to do a very special vertical of Lagavulin because we have an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 16 year old uh, Lagavulin, not the standard Lagavulin 16, but the uh, distiller's edition, extra matured uh, version. We tried the 16 on our first episode. We're not going to try that again today, but we're going to try these other editions and see how they compare, what we can learn from them. And I guess it really started because recently released is 11-year-old Offerman edition named after Nick Offerman. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to it. Let's jump in right after we get a bit of an introduction to Lagavulin from Adam. Sure. So I think Lagavulin occupies a really interesting place in the hearts and minds of whiskey enthusiasts, particularly among the Isla whiskeys. For somebody coming into whiskey uh, in the early stages of their sort of whiskey journey, so to speak, Lagavulin really has one main accessible expression, which is the Lagavulin 16, which far and away is beloved by all. There's a 12 that's released annually, but beyond that, there isn't too many other independent bottlings. There aren't too many other non-age-stated expressions. And so what we're tasting today is sort of this cornucopia now of age-stated expressions that run from the 8 all the way up to the 16. In terms of the history of the distillery, it's, it was officially founded in 1816, but I think that coincided with uh, changes in the tax laws. And so you could date the history of the distillery all the way back to 1742 when they were running some, I guess you could say, illicit operations. It's on the southeast coast of the island, so it's nestled there in between Ardbeg and Lefroig. It's had about eight owners or so over the course of its history, its official history. The current owner is Diageo. They own a number of different brands, I think numbering in the hundreds, all across the the different spirit categories. They're sort of the reincarnation of United Distillers. But you could go back to Distillers Company Limited, Whitehorse Distillers, Mackey and Company, etc., for their sort of history of ownership. Some unique or interesting things about Lagavulin compared to other distilleries on Isla or across Scotland is they use a, a slow distillation speed in pear-shaped pot stills to get sort of a unique taste. I think of them as being smokier and less briny than some of the other Islas, but you know your mileage will vary on that. Their peat source is coming from the Castle Hill peat bog, which is right there on Isla. And so dissimilar to Brooklady, which has a peat source from the mainland, their smokiness is a authentic, unique Isla smokiness. They do use maltings from Port Ellen. They stopped their floor maltings in 1974. 
they typically have about a 35 parts per million free distillation ppm on their their maltings and their fermentation time is about 55 hours and so that lends itself to some unique characteristics otherwise for the most part Lagavulin uses ex-bourbon casks with a sprinkling of some sherry cask for example with their distillers edition and in some other uh, some of their other expressions and that's it Great. Well, thanks. Certainly, it's a legendary distillery, and I do think it's interesting, as you point out, that they do not usually allow for independent bottlings, or when they do appear, they usually don't have their name on it. There's, right. you know, and maybe that's the case with a lot of Diageo expressions, but not all of them. I mean, obviously, Kalila, but certain ones like uh, Lagavulin uh, and Talisker, you know, you very rarely see an independent bottling uh, that actually has that name on it. So they usually come up with some other kind of mystery dram or something that, you know, you just get on good authority as uh, uh, a So let's jump in with the eight, which has its own interesting history. And Aaron, you brought that? I did. This was the bottle that was released for the 200th anniversary of Lagavulin in 2016. Having been a year that I got to visit Lagavulin, and that's why I'm wearing my Lagavulin sweatshirt that I picked up when I was there. Yes, it's very sharp. This was originally released as a limited edition, but then they started bottling it as a regular part of the core range, which was, I think, caught a bunch of us by surprise and a little bit unsure of how that was going to affect the output of Lagavulin 16, because all of a sudden... All this spirit is going to be going towards producing just the eight-year-old. So as of right now, it seems to be doing okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a good intro. I mean, I think when it came out, it was super exciting because at the time, the 16 was really the only you know mass-produced one other than the distillers edition. But you know, they really didn't make anything below 16 you know, other than the 12 you know, limited edition. Yeah. So a lot of people thought it would be really neat to drink a you know younger, fresher eight. But there is a history with some of these where you think it's going to be really limited, and you know you snatch up a bunch of them when they first come out, and then you know even that when it was limited edition, there was a lot of it on yeah. the market, and then they made it a regular edition. Part of that was driven by the consumer's embrace of what at the time was a really sort of pioneering release of an age stated whiskey that was below 10 years. Back in 2016, you saw a lot of non-age stated new expressions being released. And all of a sudden, here is a, oh, the horror, an eight-year-old. People loved it. They bought it. They paid for it. And I think Diageo responded to that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, most of the time, people think if it's below 10, it, it's better marketing to not put an age statement on it. Right. But yeah, that's uh, they did that. And, and mm. I think it was a big success. And that's a good segue as to answering the question why eight-year-old Lagavulin. It was an homage to Alfred Barnard's visit to the distillery in 1887, who wrote that he tasted an eight-year-old Lagavulin and really enjoyed. So that is why we are enjoying an eight-year-old Lagavulin today. And for those of you who don't know, Alfred, Alfred Barnard was, he wrote sort of the seminal book on whiskeys back in the, the 1800s, where he walked across or traveled across Scotland and tasted whiskeys from numerous distilleries and then wrote that up into um, what essentially was one of the first of its kind uh, publications. Great. Well, I think we've done a lot of intro. Why don't we actually get to some tasting here? I'm thirsty. It's a really crisp nose. It's very fresh and 
Mm. Well, the, the nose is certainly nice. striking, but I think we all, as we poured these drams before we started recording, noted the, the color on this uh, expression, particularly compared to the nine, which is much darker, is strikingly light. It's, you know, it's obviously natural color and there's no caramel coloring in here. Do we know that for that certain? We, or yeah, I mean, it's, well, it doesn't, you wouldn't think so because it's so light. But at, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, wait, what was the final verdict on the Artbeg 10? The Artbeg 10 is yeah. not colored? I, I feel like we've got conflicting evidence out there. So. I, I think we, we had that uh, exchange yeah. with the German label, and the German label did not right. say that it was colored. Right. So, so. Um, But this one, it does say non-chill filtered natural color, I think, on the packaging. Okay. So okay. if we take that. I'm looking for it. Huh? You know, I pulled that text off of the 200th anniversary release so there Just, is that one yeah. and you don't you don't see it on there no but i do see what alfred barnard wrote about lag of woman on it yeah well so in the the marketing materials at least they do have the statement non-chill filtered natural Ooh. colored so i think we can take them all at right, their word right. for that yeah yeah it's certainly it's like almost like a pinot grigio white i mean it's really mm. it is quite light yeah i think it has a really interesting nose um it's got a very strong barley note to it. Yeah, a little punch in, kind of lemony. Uh, I think, it, well, I'm influenced a little bit by what's on the box, but I think <laughs> this fragrant tea-scented smoke, I think tea yeah. is actually a pretty good uh, note. And, you know, with the 16, one of the famous tasting notes is Lapsang Sushang, the, you know, really smoky Chinese tea. Um, and it's almost okay. like that. Uh, sorry. Uh, dinner's ready. Yeah, exactly. Lapsang Sushang. <laughs> yeah. You don't say hear that, that every day. Times. No, I know, but I, I, I've seen that on a lot of the uh, tasting notes. And, you know, for a while there, especially when I got into peated whiskey, I started drinking a lot of Lapsang Sushang. It's pretty, it's really, it is a very smoky, Ooh, tea, smoky? but uh, if you're in the mood for whiskey, it does not quite scratch that itch, but <laughs> it's still, still pretty good. You know, for me, I, I, you know, again, with just kind of a reductionist view on tasting notes, I've always thought that the Lagavulin has a certain licorice theme to it that I taste in a lot of their expressions. And I've tasted in the 16, but it's really kind of faint. But with the 8, I feel like it's dialed up quite a bit. It's definitely like fresh, but it's also, I find, kind of pungent. Mm. You know, when you compare it to the 16, you can taste that same note, but it's really mellowed by age and by the cask influence. I'm finding that for something that's uh, 48%, it tastes like it's higher ABV. Mm. It's, yeah. a, it's a little it's higher than 48. It tastes higher? higher than 48. It's a little rough. Of, sure. uh, it's got a little bit of burn. Now, have you had this bottle open? I don't want to get it, into a whole oxidation discussion, but. Well, I mean, you can see by the level. Oh, sure, sure. That, you know, I've the first time I had Lagavulin, I thought it was a lot uh, more rough around the edges than the 16. And I thought it was sort of inferior from that standpoint. But the last couple of times that I've had the Lagavulin 8, this time and a few times before, I found it to be much tamer, much less aggressive, uh, certainly something that's enjo an enjoyable dram. I don't know, comparing it to the 16 head-to-head, -head, you know, I don't, I think it's just a different expression. Yeah, very. It really different. is. I mean, it's just much more distillate-driven, but, you know, I would kind of compare it to some of the Kilhomans, you know, I think, oh, you know, that, that's a good comparison, that are young, a good comparison. Yeah. But, but still kind of well-structured. Right, right. Now, we, we've talked before about ratings. Uh, I don't know what our plan was for this series but just if we want to at the end of each uh tasting each expression just maybe talk about is this something that you would buy multiples of is this something that you really like you think is just average i was able to get a second bottle the the 200th anniversary edition for pretty cheap 
up okay. the road in Ellicott City. Yeah. Uh, I think it was during the dollar days. So it was like a bit of a no-brainer for me. It was like 50 bucks kind of area. It was like 40. 40? Yeah. I mean, I that, remember. That's a good price. That was, when it, I remember when it came out, I mean, I was like, when you could find the logable in 16 for 70 and like this came out and it was like 65 it felt right, like yeah, overpriced that, yeah i think it then came down i don't know exactly what its msrp is now that it's not a limited edition but i think it is like more in the 50 dollar range yeah. and so, makes a lot of sense i mean it is funny though uh that even when you when you see that it's like a core range it's not like you see this in every store uh no, i don't think really I don't. Mean, it, so there are these like you know the other distillers as well that have something that's considered core range but Still, may, maybe doesn't get distributed to the same degree. And anyway, I mean, I bought a bottle of this. I remember going through it, but uh, you know, I think one was enough for me. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't plan on buying it again. It was an interesting experiment, but it's not one I'm going to grab for. I, I feel, I feel the same way. I, I like the Lagavulin Eight. If if I stopped over at your house and you said, "Here, have a dram," I would be happy to have that dram. I wouldn't, you know, turn my nose up at it, but I, I wouldn't. I think at this point I wouldn't buy another bottle over the many yeah. other options that are out there. And, and frankly, if you were to ask me today if I would buy another bottle of the eight, I'd probably be like, eh, maybe not, <laughs> because especially with the tariffs come, you know, yeah, coming yeah. around, yeah. like it's I think I'd, I'd I'd refocus my spending power towards something else that I would just enjoy more. Not that I don't enjoy this. I think there would be better purchasing potential somewhere else. I, I don't knock having a second bottle, though. Yeah. yeah, no, it's always good to have a second bottle of something that you do like, even if it's not one that you're going to run out and get multiple. And it's of. it's fun to have around for tasting like this every now and then. Yeah. So with that, should we take it up a year? <laughs> yeah. Graduate to the nine-year. <laughs> so yeah, this is another, I mean, well, Aaron can jump into it, but it's another funny kind of marketing-driven yeah. uh, <laughs> adventure. This is kind of uh, whiskey marketing, just kind of doing whatever the hell it pleases and really trying to take money out of my wallet, which it worked. So the nine-year-old Lagavulin is from the Game of Thrones limited edition series. Uh, so this is the house. Limited. Limited, limited quote-unquote. Yeah. yeah. The limited edition House Lannister Lagavulin nine-year-old. I remember we did the, we tasted these over at, was it Paul's? Right, Paul's in BC. Yeah. And I honestly could not get a good enough pour out of them to really get a sense of tasting <laughs> it. But I kind of put my faith in the fact that it is laggable and juice in there and ended up buying a bottle. And what's funny though is that you can there was that whole period where they were all kind of you couldn't buy these anymore. But you can still find this bottle. Yeah, no, I mean it was definitely uh sold as a limited edition, but you know, I think as we've seen now with a lot of Biagio releases, they don't release how many bottles total. So you don't you know, see, uh, you know, only ten thousand dollars produced or ten thousand bottles produced. It gives you some sense of the rarity. So it comes out, and everybody thinks, "Oh, this is going to be a collectible." You see, some people trying to buy all eight uh, uh, yeah. edition. You know, different houses, and some are better than others. You know, the, the real standouts I think were the uh, Lagavulin Nine, the Talisker Greyjoy, which has a no age statement, and then yeah. uh, um, Kleinleash, which also was no age statement, but it was uh, cast strength. And those became uh, pretty valuable on secondary for a while. I think even the Kleinleach got above $200. But then it was funny because clearly Diageo released like a second, possibly even a third wave because the oh, secondary prices everywhere. like plummeted and you can still find them everywhere for kind of what they were released at originally. So, you know, it's a good lesson because, you know, you really should buy these things if you enjoy drinking them and not... Uh, 
necessarily as a collectible because I feel bad for anybody who paid like $150 uh, or something yeah. for this when now you can find it for like $60, $70. Especially when a lot of these special release things categorized as the stuff that they couldn't sell normally. Right. Uh, and I say that a lot about the travel retail stuff too. That's hard to know. Yeah. So I've not really had a fair taste of this and I just corked the bottle 20 minutes ago. I'm excited to actually give this a real honest try. The color is kind of exciting. It's a really deep yellow kind of yeah, golden, yeah, really. co- golden coppery. Almost like a gold. It looks yeah. Like. yeah. You know, and it, it is a shame a little bit that you can't tell whether that's, you know, more sherry maturation or if they just added more coloring to it. But, you yeah. know, hopefully it's well, at least think- a little bit of the first... Honestly, eyeballing it, either there's some sherry in there or it's colored because the uh, one year additional in maturation should not take it that many color levels above what the eight is. Yeah, it, although what do we find about the maturation on this one? So it looks like it's 100% what they call fresh ex-bourbon cask, which we interpret to mean first fill ex-bourbon. So still, that's you know this, this is a dark color for a nine-year-old, especially compared to the eight that I would attribute either to caramel coloring or some mixing in of sherry, even though it says hundred percent. Yeah. It's a good point though. I mean, cause like, you know, if it's fresh, if they're really first fill ex bourbon, you know, especially if it was an all nine years, yeah, I mean, it's maybe not out of the question. I mean, it, and, and you know, you, now that you can tell on the nose that there's some strong bourbon influence. Yeah. In yeah. And, and on the palate, I kind of jumped ahead to the palate and it has got a pretty strong bourbon backbone to it. I mean, my guess is that there is, you know, they, they could have still added color, but it doesn't surprise me that there's not sherry because I'm not actually sure I pick up like a sherry note to it. Yeah. So, this is quite different than I was expecting. To me, it's not characteristically Lagavulin. It's uh, certainly a nose is much different than the eight. It's, yeah. uh, it's less briny. It's less smoky. I really don't get a heavy, aggressive peat, uh, any heavy, aggressive peat aromatics on it. Yep, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's a little sweeter. It's like a got kind of a honey, yeah, um, dark, you know, uh, caramel, like a chewy caramel mm-hmm. <laughs> note to it that I think he also picks up on the palate. So I just while we were talking, I was just doing a little internet research, and a couple of the reputable blogs, although they don't say for sure, do suspect uh, coloring. Yeah, which I think isn't un- unreasonable. Like you said, it's also not unreasonable that it's natural color, but until the distillery itself or Diageo actually tells us we... Yeah, I mean, it's also um, sometimes that, you know, to get that kind of color, if it were cast strength, I'd be less surprised. Right. You know, this is 46. So the idea that you're going to get a 46% whiskey that's this dark, even with first fill bourbon, it seems unlikely. But if it were cast strength, you know, I might give that, uh, you know, more of a possibility. I mean, if there was ever a bottling to make sure that they all look the same from their perspective, this is probably the bottling, the color. Yeah. It's also because it's House Lannister, which is associated in the show with being like super wealthy, you couldn't have like a pale bottle. You had to be be really gold. gold. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I I was also just going to note, so we have the bottles lined up here in front of us. And traditionally, a lot of Isla bottles have had a green color, and there is some uh, rumors that that is the case because they're lighter in color of the spirit than other whiskeys, and so they were attempting to kind of obscure that fact. But the Game of Thrones edition of Lagavulin has a clear bottle, uh, and so 
to make the spirit stand out a little bit more, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some some color added. It's, yeah, I mean, if they want to go after the whole liquid gold You're right. thing, right. They're, yeah. they're doing it with the clear bottle and making the spirit look like it's liquid gold. It really does. And at the end of the day, the only thing, of course, that matters is whether you like it or not. I do happen to like this expression. What I don't like is that I enjoy the fun of kind of eyeing the color of the spirit and taking a guess as to what that means in terms of its age and in terms of its maturation. And you just can't do that when it's been colored because it takes away the whole equation of does this have sherry? Does this have a heavy sort of component to it that would lend itself to a darker yeah. color. So we spent a lot of time on the color of this one, but <laughs> I think the flavor is interesting. It's, mm-hmm. It is a different take on, on Lagavulin and with that sweetness, you know, there's definitely like, you know, the tea component is strong, I think. What was that special it, tea called? Yeah, Lapsang <laughs> Shushang. <laughs> Look it up. It sounds like do. that's not something you should that. be saying. <laughs> so it sounds you, like an ancient torture or something. So do you get a, do you get a little menthol? on? The, I, I get a yeah, little bit of menthol good. in the finish. I, I, I find, though, that the um, it starts to fall apart a little bit towards the end. I find that it gets kind of, almost kind of watery, gets to mint, and, and the finish is not terribly distinctive. So I think it's fun. It's interesting. It did get good reviews, I think, among the, the uh, you know Game of Thrones releases. It was one of the highest reviewed, but uh, it was up against Cardu. <laughs> <laughs> good point, Singleton. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I will say that this is certainly an area where reviews online are helpful, but are not the end all be all. And I yeah. saw in a lot of reviews that this had a really nice long finish, and like Jesse said, I don't find I don't that, to, that at all. to be the case at yeah. all. It's it's pretty short. Yeah, I, I would also add that. If this were a blind tasting of trying to pick out which distillery this came from, I'm not sure I could do it with this. Yeah, I would not pick out the. I think yeah, I think we could egg. with the eight, and I'm sure we will with other Lagavulin expressions. I'm not I'm not getting the Lagavulin DNA yep. out of this yeah, one. I agree with that. So why don't we keep moving? We do have a lot of yeah. bottles today, so I've also gone ahead and poured this. Uh, our next release is it's a ten year, but this is an independent bottling, an IB. And this is part of the exclusive malts uh, range, which have really cool bottles. They always have like kind of a coat of arms on them. And, uh, and, and this is another one where, you know, it doesn't say Lagavulin on the bottle. It says Isle of Isla, 2007. It seems like there's very, very strong evidence that this is a Lagavulin. There's really not much of a dispute. And I think once you taste it and knows it, you, you know, it's um, not hard to see. Okay. All right. Well, let's... Uh, you know, so we don't know a lot about uh, this. I mean, we I guess we have found that it's um, refill sherry hogshead uh, aging. So that, that does tell you a lot. I and mean, it's, you know, you should expect some the, of that. The um, nose sherry is delightful influence. on this Yeah. One. It um, is really nice. Yeah. And mm. it's, got a ni- it's got a nice rich color. It, it, it looks more genuine to me than yeah <laughs> it doesn't look colored. It's 55.7%. So there we're drinking a nice good cast strength. Lagavulin. Mm. Um, I think the nose is fantastic. It's rich, perfumed. Mm. Get some of that kind of sweet nuttiness uh, from the sherry. Yeah, and I get a little brine on this. I get a little bit of smoke. It's not as overwhelming as the the 16 is in a very uh, enjoyable way, but it is uh, recognizable, I think, uh, harking back to Aaron's comments about recognizing the uh, Lagavulin DNA. I, I think this, I would pick this one out as Lagavulin. Yeah, this this feels more like a young Lagavulin 16 than the 8 feels like a young Lagavulin 16. Mm. 
I think that the like licorice kind of aniseed note that you get in eight though is, is almost non-existent, at least on the nose. Mm. I'm um, excited to try this. Yeah, one. so let's let me try the. Yeah, I, I think the palate is uh, well. So far, of the three mm. that we've tried, that the palate is, is, on this one is the most enjoyable by it far. It is really exciting. It's got the right amount of bite to it at yeah. the end, like right at the tip of my tongue, which is really kind of nice. It's not overpowering. Like the the eight felt a little bit much for yeah. what it was. Yeah, but it does. It, it does need to be said. Sorry to interrupt. It does need to be said that you know this is an independent bottling, and mm-hmm. typically what happens with the independent bottlers is that they'll buy these casks and they'll release what they think is good or what they like a good bit, and so you're typically getting sort of like almost akin to a store pick, mm-hmm. you know, where someone said, "I really enjoy this one," and so. So I really wonder. We did not have an opportunity to pick up a bottle of the new travel retail. Lagavulin 10. That would be sort of a more mass-produced version of a 10-year-old Lagavulin, and it would have been interesting to compare this sort of boutique 10 against the mass-market yeah, 10. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure the aging is different. I mean, they kind of, you know, like we were saying, their, their maturation of their standard releases is generally bourbon, ex-bourbon casks. So to get one that's uh, ex-sherry, it's quite different. I, I wouldn't guess that this is like a first fill. I'd say it's probably a second fill. Right. Because uh, it's not like super strong with the sherry. It does taste like a Oloroso or a drier sherry. It's not a like Pedro Jimenez, like super sweet, um, which I actually think we will be able to detect in the distiller's edition, which uses Pedro Jimenez casks. But yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. I, I think I may try some some with some water. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's some meatiness notes to it. Uh some tea again. I, um, lapsang. Lapsang. Hey, hey, lapsang. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Cocoa. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the finish yet. We spent a lot of time on the color on the, preview, on the nine, but I will say that the finish on this one is one of my favorite types of finishes where it really seems to coat the top mm. of, my, of my mouth, the roof of my mouth, and it lingers in a way that's really enjoyable, and I still get the kind of the aromatics off it that are really sort of oh, nice wow. to linger. Yeah, you have to add the water. It it actually gets even better. Like it actually like opens up tremendously. It really smooths out the edges. Yeah, it's ah, yeah, that was a good point. Well, and this is proving one of the laws of whiskey, and that is that if you have a small sample of something that's almost gone, sure, it's going to be delicious, and they're going to want more of it. But I know you just don't have more. That's actually what I should point out because I'm not sitting here, unfortunately, uh, with a like a full bottle of this. This is actually a sample. So it's a two-ounce Boston round that I got in a trade. And, you know, as you guys both know, there's like a healthy tradition in the whiskey world, I think especially on scotch, of swapping samples. And, you know, it's a way to share the wealth. And if you've got a... Um, wow. Excuse me. I'm just <laughs> opening up the next... Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good idea for uh, efficiency's sake. Um but I, I can't even remember exactly what uh, trade this was part of. I've done a lot of trades over the last uh, three or so years. I'm delighted to help you work through your samples. <laughs> exactly. Seriously. I do have kind of a uh, uh, kind of a ridiculous looking uh, couple of shelves uh, in my whiskey collection of all my uh, bottles. It looks like an apothecary in there. But it is. It really is a lot of fun because then you get a chance to just try something new, but without you know going out and buying a full bottle. But it's also not just a quick pour at a friend's house or a bar. It's a two ounces that you can kind of nurse mm-hmm. and uh, come back to. 
Uh, so it's a really, it's a fun way. It's a way to get value out of a bottle after you've opened it because say you open a, a really fantastic bottle that's worth a hundred plus dollars, but you don't really like it that much, but then you can trade samples from it and kind of get the other things, other interesting things that you might like. So, you know, it's a great way. It's, it's almost like a market efficiency of <laughs> scotch. And I think we're kind of reaping the benefits of it by having this bottle I've been saving. And now we've got a perfect addition to our vertical. And so if we can, on. yeah, if we can just take a moment during halftime, so to speak, before we move on to our fourth expression to note that we had some plans to talk about sample jars and infinity bottles and that sort of thing. This is one of my pet peeves about whiskey that the 750 milliliter bottle is sort of the volume size that whiskey is sold in in the United States. And it prevents that sort of sampling and that ex- exploration and experimentation with different types of whiskeys that I wish we could do more of uh, in, in a more structured fashion. And if you think about the six-pack, the six-pack is six beers. You pick it up, you drink two or three, maybe you have one later, another one later. It's a fun time. With whiskey, that's approximately a 200-milliliter bottle. Why they don't sell, why companies don't sell 200-milliliter bottles, which is approximately six drams of whiskey that you can taste, enjoy, not have to spend 120 bucks every time. I think that would be much better for the consumer. Yeah, they do sell the you know miniatures. They are harder to find in the U.S. of like good stuff, right? And uh, there's people out there collecting them. Yeah, well, there are people who go out there and collect them. <laughs> Actually, you know, you see these crazy. Don't drink them. They like just take pictures. Japanese whiskey, where people will spend more for the mini than they do for the full size bottle because it's so collectible. You know, it, you do pay a lot more when you find them. Um, you know, per ounce. But I'm a huge fan of finding like a 200 or 350 milliliter bottle, you know, yeah. and I found them at Duty Free uh, a couple times over the last few years, you know, the Brook Lottie, Lottie 8. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently found a Highland Park release that they were selling as a 300 mil bottle. And, and I bought it. I was so excited because then it's like not this big heavy bottle I have to lug around. Right. right. Give me a chance to taste it. It was not expensive. It was like 25 pounds or right. no euro, 25 euro. And I was like, I almost bought it too to like encourage. I'm like, please, mm. yeah, this is a viable concept. Please produce this more. Well, yeah. I mean, well, think about the the Lottie MP sets. Those are 200 milliliter bottles. You buy as a you know a set of three. That is the perfect size for something like that. And I've also had a set of three 200 milliliter bottles from Ben Romack. You get right three really packs. great expressions. You have just enough to find out if you like it, and then you go out and you buy the bigger bottle, the ones that you like. It's such a shame they don't do that. So speaking of soapboxes, let me get out on another one. I stayed away from the Game of Thrones bottles because I was a little leery of the marketing tie-in. And that Mm -hmm. was, I love Game of Thrones. I read all the books. I love the shows. But I was a little leery of the whole marketing aspect of, let's just slap a Game of Thrones label on it with no connection to the whiskey at all. And we'll sell it for a premium and everyone will buy it. And everybody did buy it. I didn't. But some of them are good, as we've noted, the Obin, the Kleinleash, the Lagavulin, et cetera. The Nick Offerman edition, completely different story. <laughs> to me, there was a backstory here right. where Nick Offerman, Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, enjoyed Lagavulin on the show. He made a couple of commercials. He did the one where he tried Lagavulin in a bar and he wasn't convinced it was Lagavulin. So he took a boat all the way to Isla and he tried it or he got it and he came back and he said this is like a bullet there's another there's the other infamous video where he 
I think drank a Lagavulin by the fire for 10 yeah. hours or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I don't have 10 hours to spare, but um, I've heard about it. Yeah, it's like a Yuletide log. A Yuletide log. Placement. So, yeah, so yeah. when the Lagavulin 11 came out, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to get a bottle. I, I, I think Jesse actually um, had a play in, in pushing me to get one. I think they came out in Paul's. And yeah, and you know, a couple other things to say about it. I mean, I fully agree that it's a great tie-in. It's, it's completely right. logical. I mean, I remember him drinking it on the show, usually at a steakhouse or just right. pulling it from his right. desk. And, and, and you're a Parks and Rec he, fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Parks and Rec fan. And, and I think I knew that it was this really heavy, smoky scotch. And it did almost like it fit with his character so well that he was this like manly man on uh, the show. <laughs> just like drinking there, like... There are some great scenes in that ripping. show where he pours it for somebody else and they drink it and they just can't handle it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's always funny to me, you know, why it took so long. I mean, talk about like kind of missing the wave. I mean, that Oops. show's been off the air now for like yeah. multiple years. Yeah. Uh, he's been doing these commercials now for multiple years and it's kind of funny that it took so long for it I, to actually well, Has out. it been 11 years? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I know that, there, you know, it's interesting because there was a wave of celebrity bottlings, endorsements, whatever you want to call it. You had, uh, who's the all right, all right, all right guy? Uh, with the oh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. You know, he has his tie-in <laughs> with Wild Turkey, uh, Long Branch or whatever it is. Yeah. Am, I, yeah. am I remembering that right? And then you've got uh, Heaven's Door, the Bob Dylan release. You have Metallica with Blackened. So with with this edition, what's really interesting is they did not go with the Ron Burgundy, Ron Swanson kind of labeling. They went with his actual name, which is Nick Offerman, which I think speaks to a little bit to the authenticity of it in the sense that if you believe the marketing materials, he actually collaborated with the distillery manager, um, Colin Gordon, to really pick out the right profile that he wanted to represent the, the whiskey that he was putting his name on. So this is an 11-year-old. It's a 46 uh, ABV uh, release, so more similar to the Lagavulin 9 that we just tried, the Game of Thrones edition, whereas the Lagavulin 10 from Exclusive Malts had jumped up to the 557 uh, it's, we think it's, we don't have any information on the maturation of it, but it stands to reason that it's probably predominantly ex-bourbon. Nosing it, yeah. I, you know, I get, I get a, a pretty stereotypical or at least what I would expect uh, nose from a Lagavulin. One of the more noteworthy notes out of this one that I don't typically get out of Lagavulin is it's very grassy. I get grass. I also get like more citrus than normal in, in a Lagavulin. Yeah, I kind of get that a little bit. Um. I, I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, when they hear about something like this, do wonder, again, just having been burned by Game of Thrones, whether this is just a marketing ploy or a chance to sell kind of a, uh, an odd batch or something. I think this actually, you know, occupies a unique place in the Lagavulin lineup. You know, it definitely, I think, is fresher than the 16, being 11 years old. It is not as sharp or as biting as the 8. I do think, again, you know, maybe it's just because it's separated by year. It, it has a somewhat similar profile to the 12 just in terms of the balance. But at 46%, it's definitely not kind of watered down. It's not 40 uh, or 43. It's 46, which is a respectable ABV. It's just more of a drinker. It's more of like a daily drinker to me. I just find the balance super interesting. I actually want to compare this directly with the 16 to see which I mm. like yeah. more, especially the more yeah. current releases of the 16, which I've kind of fallen off in quality. Now, I, I like this one a lot. I, this is a bottle that... 
I've all, I've actually thought about going out and getting a second one of because I like it that much. It has to me. I've said briny three or four times tonight, and so I was, was going to say sea spray, but that's kind of silly. But <laughs> it, it does have a, a brininess to the nose and to the palate that I want to find in a Lagavulin because they age right by the ocean and they age on site, which is not true of all Isla distilleries. And uh, overall, I you know I think this is a, a pretty Pretty good contender it's, for it's a good leg of It's a solid dram. It's, I'm surprised how much I actually enjoy it because I just didn't didn't know what to expect. Right. It's not a miss, that's for sure. I think no, it's, not at all. It's, it's great. It's, it's something I think Nick Offerman could be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I do kind of wish it had a few more ABV points. I'm kind of curious what that would have been like. Yeah, 48. And, I mean, just given, like, who he is and the character that he played, I would have thought he might have opted for a stronger ABV. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe the cast strength Offerman edition is the worst. <laughs> I'm sure it is. So, the, uh, so um, you know, the one last thing I'll say, and then we should probably move on to the 12, um, is it, I think it will be curious to see uh, how this sells because, you know, when I was talking to the manager of Paul's, where we bought it from, uh, you know, he thought that this, a lot of people would buy one bottle, you know, right. as Parks and Rec fans or the novelty of it. But, you know, uh, when I was asking how limited is this going to be, he thought it's kind of depends just on what the market reception is. Will people buy a second bottle of this? Is it actually something people enjoy drinking? And to me, I think a lot of that depends on the price. I think the fact that if these tariffs hit right now, you know, that could do some damage. Um, but, you know, I think if I could find this for like, $70 or less, I would buy it. So, so that's where regular. just, you know, one or two more minutes on this. I, you know, I think that um, this is where Lagavulin really struggles in the mind of the consumer because they have a 16 that's about 70 ish dollars and they also have an eight that's about 60, 65. And to the average consumer, they think, well, wait a minute, the 16 is double the eight. Why is it only a few dollars less? Then you have the 11, which is really on a par, if not more expensive. Than the 16, right. and it doesn't have the cachet that the 12, the annual release does. So I think that's what their real challenge is going to be is is in the pricing. Yeah, that's a good point. So what, so, what did this run for? This this has been about an eighty-five dollar bottle in most places. I've seen on the internet some people finding it for sixty-five, seventy at Union Station across from my work. They're selling it for a hundred. So, you know, it's all over the map, but that's, I think the... That the, sounds steep. The, well, yeah, I mean, it's Union Station, so you have all the travelers coming through, so they have the, the markup. But I think it's... The problem is you have Lagavulin 16, which is a phenomenal dram for 70 ish dollars all over the place. And Lagavulin and at the entry level will always be competing against their own product at that point. Yeah, because I have no problem spending 70, 75 bucks for the Lagavulin 16. Right. That's that's easy, easy yeah, for me to do. No brainer. I would probably want to spend less on this one. Right. Yeah. I, I no, could probably exactly go right. for sixty, sixty-five. I'd love to see the eight at fifty, the eleven maybe at sixty, and the sixteen at seventy. So, that would make more sense as so a consumer. It, it's priced on scarcity. Right. There's less of it. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about the other kind of through-the-looking-glass pricing scheme, which is our next bottle, the 12, uh, which I just looked up and routinely goes for like well over $100, yep. often like 120 So that's probably, or more. Yep. Yeah, definitely. You know, so that's like pretty strange. And, and that's twice as much as, not quite, or but it's almost twice as much as the 16. 
And, and yeah, and then that's why to me, I feel like Lagavulin is such an interesting distillery in the sense that for the entry level enthusiast, the 16 is so accessible. But then everything else seems to be a little bit strange, where you have this 12, which is an annual release. It's it, there's not a lot of it, and it's priced almost double in some cases as the 16. So, yeah. So which edition is this? So this is a 2015. Um, I, I was looking it up previously, and it is. It's been an annual release as part of the Diageo special releases. Even though it's a special release, it's been part of it uh, pretty much every year since the early 2000s. I've found that they can vary quite. Significantly, I've had, uh, this is a 2015, I think I've had like the 11, 12, 13, 15, 16, and 17. And I found that they, they, like, the emphasis can be quite different. And I like, because I remember the, the 2016, I was not a big fan of. I mm-hmm. thought like the licorice was like up to, you know, 11. Where I think this 2015 is is phenomenal. It's uh, this, just super well I mean, the nose is, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been... Holding back. I love this 2015. So I, you know, tonight, I was excited about tonight just for the opportunity to try some of the 2015 again because I had it not too long ago and it really shocked me because I've had some of the releases of the 12 before, maybe some of the other years that weren't as um, big of hits or that didn't really, the Lego didn't really have a home run. The 2015 is just such a phenomenal expression and it's everything I think Lego should be. Yeah, and that's the reality of it in terms of the pricing is that, you know, it's cast strength and, you know, for my money, it is just super well balanced. Most, you know, for good releases, you know, there's occasionally an off release. But for me, like the 16, when you try the 12 compared to the 16, you realize that like the aging, yes, does it add something to the 16? Of course, like some complexity, but I almost think it's like it's it's overaged or it's it's lost some of its zest but again i you know i think this is the quintessential uh, example of what cast strength ought to be you hear cast strength you hear people saying oh it was cast strength i had a you know i had had a water it was too hot for me this isn't hot at all this This is is delicious i love it just that maybe water would improve it i don't know but i don't feel the need to put water in it no this is just extraordinarily good it, it is it's like got lemon like chocolate a little herbal but balance with sweet. I mean, it just—it's just interesting. The finish balanced. is nice and long and lingering. Yeah, this is. This but is it has that. Awesome so, what was the note that you were talking about earlier before as being sort of characteristic of Lagavulin? Like the, the, the licorice, you know, the licorice. So where, this has that citrus note in it. This is very citrusy. That yeah. I, I just think yeah. is so compelling, and I've really only seen in some of the older Lagavulins. I had the twenty-one at one point, and I had a Murray McDavid that had a heavy citrus note to it. But this mm. is, I mean, it's, I think, did you use the word balance before? It's so yeah. wonderfully balanced. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe licorice is not always the right term, but it's like, it's that certain type of bite, you know, it's a certain type of um, acidity that, yeah. uh, you know, maybe you give it different names uh, as you taste it. And, and, and on all of the, I think, Isla malts have it. I mean, part of maybe being peat is, is a bit of bitterness or something, but... You know, so I associate that in some of the releases with uh, licorice, especially the eight. So I find it here, but it's just so integrated with the rest of the f- flavor profile. So unfortunately, this is another one that's in a t- uh, sample bottle. This is a four ounce bottle. And I think I'm down to now, having poured some for you guys, I'm down to two. Yeah. This was a bottle I bought. And so uh, what I often do when I get kind of low on a bottle is I'll then pour it into a, a six or four ounce bottle 
depending on how much I have left, so that I can save it for years, uh, months or years. Um, and uh, don't worry about oxidation to whatever degree that's true. I, I do think it's true when you get to like the last three or four ounces. If you let that sit in a, in a full uh, bottle, it'll start to lose some of its punch. Um, so I think it's fun because then, you know, I usually have six or seven, eight kind of actual full-size bottles that are open at any given time. But in reality, you know, if I feel like a dram, I've got like dozens and dozens, probably like a hundred different whiskeys I can drink because I keep them in these smaller glass bottles for, mm. for months or years after yeah. I open them. But we've got all these little samples we haven't quite decided to jump into. Yeah. Now, from a, from a rating standpoint, I've, uh, you know, I'm a simple guy. I like a, you know, a, a one to five scale or at most a one to 10 scale. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the Jim Murray or the Michael Jackson. Let's give 25 points to the nose, 25 points to the palate, 25 points to the finish, and, you know, some other uh, uh, component of, yeah. of overall ranking. But for this, I'm a big nose guy. I'm a big finish guy. With my spinal tap hat on, I'll give this 11 <laughs> on the nose and an 11 on the finish. I just, I love everything about the nose and finish for this expression. And before I talked about how the, I think that the finish, it coated the top of my palate. This feels like all around, it's just a, a, a very enjoyable lingering. Yeah. I'm getting it on the roof, I get on the sides, I get on the tongue, it's everywhere. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's lively. I mean, and so, you know, at the end of the day, whatever you eat, think about the pricing schemes, the fact that this is like a $100 bottle plus, you know, usually 110 or worth more, it. it's totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, and I think if you do find a 12 year old for like, as I've, I think the, the 12s that I've bought, I've, I've been able to find them for like 110. Yeah. Easy, solid buy. I mean, once you get above like 125 or, you know, I'd start to think about a little bit more or do some yeah. more hunting, but certainly, you know, ranks up there with any of these, uh, uh 100 plus bottles that I've bought. And it's getting better with each little sip that I take. <laughs> yeah. It, it is definitely one that becomes more enjoyable as you, as you sit with it. And, you know, I you know I'll pour a dram and just nose it forever. And this one is one that you know you can nose, but you can also after you let it you know sort of sit on your palate, you can just enjoy the finish. That's and great. It's it's yeah. just so interesting how different the peat is on this one. Like it's really not peat forward the way other Lagavulin expressions are, and that's not bad. Mm. Like it it's no. there, right? But these other really interesting flavor profiles are coming forward and it's just so exciting and different and you just sit there nosing it for a while <laughs> but you know it's funny because you know you think of peat as starting to sort of disintegrate and decompose in the barrel after a certain number of years in when in the 20s and the 30s for example but i i feel like as we've progressed through the eight the nine the eleven you know the peat has taken on sort of different characteristics with this 12 in particular it's kind of thrown me for a loop in the sense that once we get to the 16, the 16, now we don't have the standard 16, we have the 16 distillers edition, but the 16 standard edition really hits you with that heavy smoke punch. Yeah. And that feels like a big leap from where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so remember from our first episode that I shared with you a uh, Lagman 16 that I thought had, was a bit of an off batch. <laughs> yeah. So I've since replace that with a different bottle and that was spot on really wow so i was just like so happy to finally have what i expect of wagamole 16 
Yeah. And it is really wonderfully peaty and rounded. And like, I partner wasn't sure, like, should we have the 16 to compare everything to in this tasting? Mm. But there was another part of me that was like, well, you know what? These are all yeah not standard everyday offerings yeah well we have a, a we have a 16 we have the we have, distil- a we have the distillers edition of 16 now the distillers this is from this i think was bottled in 2015 the distillers edition in general is kind of a an interesting series by diageo in the sense that they take uh core expressions from a variety of distilleries that they own and very similar to, I think it was the Distillers Company Limited that preceded Diageo that used to release these sort of distillers editions. And the distiller didn't refer to the distiller at the distillery, but the distiller, the company, Distillers Company Limited. And so they have this series for Lagavulin. It is the Standard 16, then finished in Pedro Jimenez uh, sherry casks. And so that is a particular type of sherry. There are other distilleries that Diageo releases the distiller's editions finished in, for example, Amontillado, which I think is the Dalwini, maybe. Uh, there's a Palo Cortado, there's a Fino, there's an Oloroso. It's something worth noting that different people gravitate or lean towards different types of sherry finishes. I have found that I've leaned towards Oloroso finishes. I really like those. The Pedro Jimenez, I'm a little less fond of, but we'll see as we taste this uh, what we think so of it. I'd be willing to bet that some expressions or some distilleries favor better towards different sherries. Oh, Because I think yeah. the Lafroig PX, which is a Travel Retail exclusive, is phenomenal. Yeah, it, it is good. It really is good. Absolutely delightful, and I, I've literally never had a Pedro Jimenez finished whiskey that I've enjoyed. And if, if you could find one for me, I'd love to try. I think I've had the Lafroy. I think you've had the Lafroy. I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of Lafroy. Yeah, anyway. it, it is of the uh, the Trinity. It's, it's probably my my least favorite. Yeah, which is, is surprising. Some people love it. Yeah, like I get from people say like, oh, I I love the Lafroy Ten. I'm like. Eh. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. if you start the cash drink for a ten is, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but the the regular I, I did like the lore. You know, I had the lore. Lore, lore is another one. That. I it's pricey. Yeah, it's a little pricey. But um, you know, the Karchus, I never got into Karchus. Some right. people love it. Uh, all yeah. the different releases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quarter cask is pretty good. Oh, uh, the the cash drink quarter cask one. I heard yeah. that one was pretty. Good. I, no, I, I, I can't I talk about Lefroig without. Plugging Simon Brooking, who gave one of the best <laughs> uh, ambassador-led, brand ambassador-led tastings I've ever attended. So Lefroy does a lot of things really well. It, you know, not everybody has to like everything. I mean, that's just the way it is. So the Lagavulin 16 Distillers Edition that we're trying now is a 43% ABB. One of my dislikes of it is that it runs a little higher, obviously, than the regular 16. So this is about a hundred, hundred ten, hundred twenty dollar bottle, yeah. depending on where you get yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think it's worth that, it. Over yeah. No, it, it's yeah. not. And frankly, it's it tastes watery to me. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's like yeah, you, it's it's like you lose <laughs> you no, lose something from the sixteen, and it's not clear what you've really gained other than like kind of a raisiny note. But yeah. it's not like a dramatically different whiskey. No, it's, it just feels like unbalanced. No, I think that's a great point. Uh, you, Somebody you, you squeezed the pepper a little too much. Gain a raisiny note. <laughs> 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 Who likes a raisiny note? Not me. 
I I don't know. I say the Ubidal, uh, our big Ubidal, is a strong racing note. But it also brings a lot a lot more yeah. to the table. Besides yeah. The, you know, and the finish is it, on this is not. I, I, I'll just be honest. I brought this. I think I brought this to our first tasting. It's a special bottle because it's something that I got. Uh, I think there was an occasion that it was associated with. It's kind of pricey, but I don't love it. And I think as a whiskey enthusiast, people should feel free to say, you know, this may this be a good not, expression, yeah. but it's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. But it's it, it, it's it makes you wonder. I mean, it's it's a great kind of test whiskey to say, like, what is it, you know, that is not good about this because it's almost like all the components are there, you know. I mean, if you want peat, if you want some sweetness, you know, but like, you know, why is it that some other bottling that might have the exact same tasting notes in terms of what tastes are there, profile, you know, but that one works and this one just doesn't, you know, uh, but it's, that's what's so elusive about whiskey drinking and whiskey tasting. It's like, how do you describe, how do you put into words, what about this whiskey I mean, is so disappointing? <laughs> <laughs> for me, and I hate to be an ABV snob, but I think it starts there. 43. I think they added too much water to this. Well, what's interesting, That's I'm glad point. you brought that up because, you know, of the whiskeys that we've tried tonight, this is the lowest ABV. And you yeah. can tell. There's zero yeah. bite on yeah. this. There's no thinness no of burn. the mouthfeel. Right. If this was cast strength, it might actually be. It might be. legs fun. in the glass to speak yeah. of. It, it'd probably be really good cash yeah. drink. I, I, this, I should just pour that down the drain. No, well, like <laughs> pour it in your infinity bottle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have finished this epic vertical. I think it's been a lot of fun. I think we've seen how Lagavulin has a certain taste profile that I think we've found in all of these. But it, it does... Sh- shift and it actually can express itself quite differently across these different ages and finishes abvs so it's 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 been kind of a fun experiment and i think it's pretty clear which one is our favorite and maybe we are kind of at the end of the day cast strength snobs because we (laughs) seem to love the 12 and the exclusive malts the most but also uh, i think the the, guys for your thoughts the the legable 11 i think was was decent and that's 46 percent, and that's affordable so you know, I think clearly out of this tasting, you can see that there are some that are released at a higher price point, but well worth it, like the Lagavulin uh, 12 2015 or like the exclusive malts. Uh, but there are also affordable Lagavulin expressions out there that are really enjoyable, like the 8, which is at 48%, and uh, about a uh, $65 expression. And the uh, the Lagavulin 11, which is about 46% and about an $85 bottle, but one which I would pick up a second in a heartbeat and you know i don't think any of us disliked the legable nine it wasn't you know home run but it was enjoyable yeah yeah i mean i don't i didn't dislike it it wasn't my least favorite of the pours tonight but i'm glad i only have one bottle of it i would not need a second bottle of the legable nine i have three bottles of the game of thrones talisker because i know that that one's good i still haven't tasted it yet but i have three of them it's uh, really good. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think that's part of what fan. drove me to get that third bottle was I saw it lying around and I'm like, you know what? I'll get a third one. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, if I were to rank the pours that we had today, the Lagavulin 12 is certainly sitting at, at the top. Yeah. And Without then I question. think the exclusive malts is sitting there right beneath it. And then I think you go to the Offerman edition. Yeah. Then the Lagavulin 8, then House Lannister, then the Distiller's edition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Yeah, I might swap the, swap the nine and the eight personally, but oh, you like the nine better than the eight? I think so. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that that's what that's it, what these tastings yeah. are fun for. We get to, to to me what hurts the nine is that I really don't get the Lagavulin DNA out of it. I agree with that. That's kind of what I want to see. The eight feels like a Lagavulin. The nine eight, is a good yeah. whiskey. It's a good expression. But if you're reaching for a Lagavulin, you know, I want to I want to know I'm drinking Lagavulin. Yeah. Good. Thanks again for listening to another perhaps long but hopefully enjoyable edition of Whiskey Snobs of Lower Moco. I'm Jesse. I'm Adam. And I'm Aaron. Dram a good health. Gin and tonic, please. Belay that order, Dana. Lagavulin neat. Clear alcohols are for rich women on diets. Hey! Hmm. You know, what's funny is that um, people think that it's an odd pronunciation, Isla, or that when they see it, they want to say Islay. Right. And I just want to say, well, it's like island. When you see island... You don't say you know, Island. You don't say Island. You say Island. So it's like, it's just Isla. It's just a, it's just got a Y instead of an ND.